right. Well, if you guys are here today for the first time, my name's Jay Duncan, and I am so honored to speak to you today and to lead this house in the unique way that God's called me to lead as a senior leader along with my wife. And we've been on uh, a journey since the beginning of the year. The Lord has spoken to us through us. Essentially what has happened in the beginning of January, every single person in the house and all of the different cross sectors of the body, whether that be in our small groups or our youth ministry or our leadership groups or our staff, we even did it here together. Uh, we all got quiet before the Lord and asked him to speak to us about what he was inviting us into for 2015. And then we took all of those answers, those words, those dreams, those visions, those scriptures, those themes, and we pulled them all together and essentially they formed a list of eight common denominators. And we've been speaking on those the past few weeks. And today we're gonna to continue that. We're gonna talk about harvest. One of the things that the Lord is inviting us as a body into to believe him for, to release our faith, to agree with him, to respond to his invitation is that 2015, we would see an increase of the harvest of lost souls come into the kingdom of God, not just through Antioch, but through every local fellowship in our city. This morning, and I love doing this, I love praying for the churches of Colorado Springs. One of the things that we do uh, every week before service, in fact, if you have a heart for prayer or a heart for this house, or wanna get more deeply connected, every Sunday at 9.15 a.m., we meet upstairs in room 100, and we pray for about 30 to 40 minutes, we pray for the service, we pray for the body, we pray for the city. And today we are praying for the churches of Colorado Springs. The scripture says that now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. And our prayer is that every preacher who preaches a message today would preach the gospel with boldness, that it would come out with power and it would come out with passion and that it would pierce men's hearts like it did in the book of Acts where people cried out and they said, what must I do to be saved? We want that in this hour. We don't want a watered down gospel. We want a potent gospel that clearly explains who this man Jesus is, his relation to the father, his sinless life, his redeeming blood, his bloody sacrifice that redeemed mankind from our sin. It took away our fear. It took away our guilt, our shame. He was resurrected from the dead like we celebrated last week. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's coming again for a pure and a glorious and a spotless bride. That's the gospel. And I'll talk with you more about that, but we're praying that the churches of Colorado Springs and Monument and Fountain and Falcon and Widefield and security in our surrounding region, that there be a return to a fiery preaching of the gospel with the passion of Jesus Christ. Can you guys agree with me on that this morning? Amen. So today we're gonna to talk about uh, harvest and I wanna read for you some of the words that came out a couple of months ago. The first one is this, I saw fields of corn growing very quickly. They are shooting up in huge bountiful stalks in the fields. Each stalk has many ears of corn and they are weighed down on the stalks and the corn is bending over because there is such a harvest. No, the word says that this is a time of exponential spiritual growth of fruit. There is a verse that came out, it's Acts chapter two, 
verse 47, and that says that the people were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This is speaking of uh, the early church, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came on the early church in Acts chapter two, verse one through four. And then uh, Peter gets up and he preaches the gospel. 3,000 men are added to the, to the Lord in one day. And at the end of that chapter, it says that the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. That's a prayer that we can pray. And that's a prayer that we should be praying on a daily basis. Lord, add to your church daily, daily. Not just on a Sunday gathering, come on somebody. Not just on our corporate celebration services, but through one-on-one conversations, through small gatherings, through uh, spontaneous connections with people in a coffee shop uh, or in a park, that people would be added to our number the number of the kingdom of God daily. I am believing that in Colorado Springs, that people will be added to the Lord on a daily basis. And I am entreating you to join me in that prayer. Whole cities, whole families, whole schools being brought to the Lord Jesus. There's a word that says that God is capturing the heart of the lost. He's inviting us to believe him. It says, believe me for souls, believe me for miracles and believe me for plans for this city. There was a vision that came forth of a vast, dry, yellow, ripe, white wheat field. Rolling hills that go on forever. There's a picture of fat, ripe, ready for harvest wheat. Too much moisture will ruin the wheat and it needs time to dry. So there are hot spells for it to ripen so that the harvest can come. There are a lot of people that are waiting And they are in dry seasons and dry spells. They're looking for fresh vision and they're not receiving. But this is a dry time and it is maturing the harvest so that it can come forth. And there is purpose even in dry seasons. That was a word that one of you guys gave. There's another person that uh, submitted this word that says, are you willing to accept among those, among you, those whom others have rejected? And by accept, I do not mean that you necessarily endorse behavior But I also mean that you're not condemning people. Allow people to hear the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ. If you accept their coming, do not be surprised when they come. But let them know of the the plan of the Father to accept them and that none should be rejected. If you will not accept their coming, do not be surprised when none arrive. That just sounds like a prophetic warning and I just, I just want to state here from, from this platform that Antioch wants it all. We do. We want every lost person from every demographic, from every ethnicity, from every sexual orientation, from every socioeconomic background. We want every single person who is in need of the loving power of Jesus I don't care what they look like. I don't care how they smell, how they talk. We want this house to be a house where arms and hearts and doors are open wide to those who need to encounter the power and the love of Jesus. And so I I want, come on, clap your hands to the Lord this morning. God's not turning his eye away or he's not turning his back on any person whose heart is hungry after him. Not one person and nor should his people. 
this was a vision that says, I, I saw a woman on top of a great mountain with a megaphone and I heard the words clarion call. That means a strongly expressed demand or request for action. I asked what the clarion call was for and I heard the word mobilize. An army going into the highways and byways, bringing food for the hungry with bread they know nothing about. Let me talk with you from the scriptures a few minutes this morning about how we can respond to this invitation of the Lord to connect with his heart for harvest. Go with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew, if you, if you didn't bring your Bible today, you can follow along on the screen. If you own a Bible, you ought to bring it to service or a phone and follow along in the scriptures. There might come a day when we don't have screens and technologies to rely on. We have to rely on our Bibles. Come on. And uh, we're called here to establish people towards maturity. And part of that is learning how to get in the scriptures ourselves. Matthew chapter 10, verse one. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. It says, having summoned his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out unclean spirits, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now verse two and three and four talk about the names of these disciples. And then verse five, it says, these 12 Jesus sent out. Everybody say sent out. Now one of the components of our mission statement is that as a kingdom community, we are called to awaken people, to awaken their hearts into the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of the kingdom, the fullness of the spirit. We're to equip them and then we're to send them. Every single one of you today is a sent one. Every one of us who considers ourselves a part of this kingdom community, you are being trained and equipped to be a sent one so that we can bring transformation to people's lives, to family units and to entire communities and regions. So the context here in Matthew 10 is that Jesus is sending his disciples on a mission, a mission that we can and that we should be in agreement with on a daily basis. That every day that we wake up, we wake up saying, I'm a sent one. Every day that we wake up, we're being sent to our neighbors, sent to our neighborhoods, sent to our workplace, sent to our schools, and we're on mission, we're on assignment. Look with me, if you would, at the previous verses in Acts cha or, uh, Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter nine, the last four verses, beginning in verse 35. It says, and Jesus was going about all of the cities and the villages. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom where he was preaching good news. And he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. I love that. I love the language of the scripture. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks here because one of the invitations of the Lord for 2015 is to pray and believe him for healings and miracles. Verse 36, and seeing the multitudes, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed, they were downcast, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, it's abundant, it's ripe, it's ready. But here's a problem, Jesus says, we don't have enough workers. There's a lot of corn, a lot of wheat, there's a lot of lives that are ready to be brought into the kingdom. We don't have people to bring them in. So then he says here in verse 38, therefore, I'm reading out of the New American Standard, beseech or pray to the Lord of the harvest 
to send out workers into his harvest field. I wanna look at a couple of points here, beginning in verse 36. Number one, it says that Jesus saw. And this is one of the ways, this is the overarching thing that I wanna make sure that we all walk away with today is that we can and that we should partner with God in praying that God would send workers into the harvest field. Now, this isn't necessarily saying that we shouldn't pray for the harvest field, but here's the thing. You know, when you get out there and the field is ripe and it's ready, that's not time to pray for the harvest field anymore. If you look around and realize you don't have people to pull all that in, we need to start praying for the people. Now, when I look at my grass and I see it's ready to cut, I don't pray for the grass. Christy's not praying for the grass. She's praying her husband catches a clue and gets out and cuts the grass, all right? And here's what Jesus, why are you shouting so loud about that? <laughs> so, so the admonition of the Lord this morning, isn't that, that we would turn our hearts more towards praying for the lost? Jesus said, they're ready. They're ready. The people in your neighborhood are ready. The people at your workplace and your school, they're ready. Pray that God would send workers. Pray that God would send people to share the message of the gospel. We're gonna talk here in a couple of minutes about the profile of a worker. But point number one is we gotta pray for workers. Pray for workers. It says here that Jesus looked around and he saw. So one of the things that we can be praying for is that, that we would have eyes to see. You know, many times I wonder as we look back when we get into the realm of eternity and we look back, I wonder if we'll look back and we'll see so many opportunities that were missed maybe simply because we were too busy or too distracted or we just didn't have eyes to catch what was going on at the moment. Jesus looked around and he saw something that the other disciples didn't see. And when he saw it, it said he was moved with compassion. Sometimes you have to, we have to see in order to be moved. We have a team that just came back from Nicaragua a couple of weeks ago. And I love, I love what happens when we immerse ourselves in other environments where the need is seemingly greater than the environment that we're in right now. The truth of the matter is the need is the same, but just being in a different context or climate or culture sometimes helps to help us see the need in a different way. And when we see that need, it pierces us and it causes something to unlock in our hearts. It causes us to be moved with compassion. When you're moved with compassion, you do things that you wouldn't normally do. You push through fatigue barriers. When you're moved with compassion, you, you, you find yourself doing radical things. There's a certain level of boldness that is attracted when compassion is released. Our team from Nicaragua uh, went door to door into hundreds of homes in these neighborhoods. Some of them never had shared the gospel with a person in their life, but moved with compassion they found themselves sharing and preaching and explaining the message of the gospel. And again, some of these guys doing this for the very first time in their lives. One of the things I'm praying for, and one of the things I'm asking that we pray for, is I think there are stigmas as it relates to sharing the gospel with people. Stigmas as it relates to evangelizing. Mindsets, fears, intimidation, all of those which I think are very, very real and legitimate, they're all valid. But I think there's been this religious thing, this ob 
obligation that has come upon the people of God as it relates to this religious duty and nothing in Christianity is to be done out of religious duty and obligation. There is a life, there is a, there is a joy that is available as it relates. There is an adventure that is available as it relates to partnering with what God is doing because God is in the business of chasing down men's hearts. God is in the business of revealing his son, Jesus. God is in the business of depopulating hell and increasing the population of heaven. That's what he's into. That's what he's about. And when we're about our father's business, it unlocks, there is a potential for joy that is unlocked. How many guys would say, you know what? I agree. I've kind of, there's this kind of religious obligation, fear, duty, manipulation. And sometimes it just turns me off to the whole idea of sharing the gospel. Anybody, can, can you get guys agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. I've I experienced that myself. And what I wanna do by the spirit today is take that off of us. Let mindsets be changed. Let our hearts be pierced with compassion so that we're participating with God's heart for people. And let me say this too. Sometimes when we hear messages like this, it's easy to walk away and it's easy to get self-condemned and say, well, if I had more of God's heart and if I had more of God's heart for people, I would be doing this more. Take that off of you. It doesn't belong on you, all right? We're all growing. We're all growing and we're all developing and we're all developing our ability to participate with the things that are on God's heart. Here is what could happen. What could happen today is that these things could whet our appetite. What could happen today is that these things would increase our faith. And what could happen today is that light bulbs come on that says, well, you know what? I could believe you to impart more of your heart into my life. I could believe you for that. I could ask you for that. And I could expect that you would transform me into that instead of getting down on ourselves for not doing that. And that's what I hope happens today. How many of you guys can agree with me on that? Focus. All right, the profile of a worker. Let's talk, no, if Jesus is saying pray for workers, now let's talk about what a worker is so that we know what it is that we're praying for. Number one, a worker is someone who knows Jesus. Very, let's start there. A worker is someone who knows Christ. I know this may feel a little elementary for some of you guys. I apologize if this is too shallow waters for you. But let's, let's, let's kind of reinforce some foundations here, right? A worker is someone who knows him, not knows church, not knows religion, not knows a lot of theology or doctrine. A worker is someone who knows the heart of Jesus, all right? Doctrine, theology, church, all those things are to serve knowing him, not the other way around. Come on, you guys with me this morning? Mark chapter three, turn with me in Mark chapter three. I'm gonna break some rules, some preaching rules here. I, I discovered uh, recently that uh, there are some seminaries that are teaching that you're not supposed to use too many scriptures in a sermon. I'm just gonna break those rules today. <laughs> Mark chapter three, here we go. Look at, verse, um, look at verse 14. It says, and Jesus appointed 12 people that number one, they might be with him and then that he might send them out. What precedes being sent out on assignment? Being with him, being with him. See, here's the thing, here's the thing. This is just a theory, this is just a guess. I think we got a lot of people that are trying to be sent out and they've not been with him. Maybe they've been with a curriculum. Maybe they've been with a charge that you've got to grow this church and go win the laws. But have they 
been with him. Because here's my guess. When we're with him, his heart will come through. And listen, listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the people around us are struggling with. And we can pull out all the hot buttons right now. We can list all the hot buttons. All of that is irrelevant because when we're with him, what, here's what I know. We'll have, this, we'll have this divine ability to avoid the landmines of theological debates and cultural hot topics. And we'll be able somehow to communicate his holy love for people. You gotta understand some of these guys who throw things up, they're just throwing up these, they're, they're throwing up defensive arguments and defensive walls. But perfect love casts out all fear. It casts out all fear. And so when we're with him, we'll be able to represent him. You don't have to read, listen, you don't have to represent Antioch. You take that off of you. In fact, you don't even have to, you don't even have to bring people to Antioch. You take that off of you. Just follow Jesus where he's, where he's leading you and spread the message of the gospel. And if they end up at Woodman Valley, praise God for that. If they end up at Radiant or New Life or Vista Grande Baptist, man, praise God. This isn't about growing a church. It's about growing the kingdom. And it's about intercepting people that are on the path to hell. That's what we want. That's what we're about. So, so number one, a worker is someone who knows him because they've been with him. Number two, a worker is someone who cares about his work. John chapter four, go with me to John chapter four and we'll look at verse four, 31. The backdrop of this story, and, and there's, it's so rich here. In the beginning of John chapter four, it's actually a story how Jesus is taking um, really a long, a long, approach a long path to get to where he's going he ends up going through Samaria and many of you may have heard of this story about Jesus meeting the woman at the well the Samaritan woman at the well well the Samaritans in that day they were despised people they, they were half-breeds they were actually some of the Jewish people they were the result of Jewish people that had married Gentiles and then the result of that were this race of people called the Samaritans that were, they were looked down on. And as a half-breed myself, I can relate to that. I've experienced a little bit of that in my life. And uh, so number one, they had that strike against them. Number two, here was a lady. And culturally speaking, customarily, you know, guys weren't supposed to be interacting with girls in that manner, in this conversational manner. So that's the second strike against what's going on here. Number three, we have a lady who we find out as the story goes on, this particular gal been married numerous times, five times. She'd been married five times, married, divorce, married, divorce, married, divorce. And then Jesus says, and you know what? I know that the guy you're with now, that he's not your husband. So not only is she a Samaritan, strike one, not only is she a woman, strike two, but she's a woman with a track record, with a past. And she's a woman, imagine this, imagine, and it says here, isn't it interesting that Jesus is at this well and the only person there is her. Why is that? Because she would wait. There was a particular time of the day when all the ladies would go out and they would draw water from the well. They would bring it back to their home and she would hide out in her house. 
because of the, the stain of her past. And we don't know what that came from. Maybe she was abused when she was younger. Maybe she was neglected from a, from a father. We don't know. All we know is the fruit and the symptoms of what were going on. And listen, if Christians would be more concerned about why you got where you're at instead of where you're at, maybe it'd be more effective in reaching people with the love of Christ. So here he is, and here's this woman by herself, and breaking all the rules, Jesus begins to engage in a conversation with this gal because I think he knew that she was there, she was hiding out in her house, waiting till the last woman left, and then sheepishly and ashamedly, she went out to go draw water, and Jesus took the long way to where he was going because he had to meet a hungry heart. Jesus has a conversation with this gal, we're not gonna get into that, In the meantime, while all this is going on, the disciples aren't thinking about eternal things. They're thinking about how hungry they are. And so here in verse 31, they come back, they made their McDonald's run and they got got their meal orders in. And here in verse 31, it says, in the meanwhile, the disciples were requesting of him saying, Rabbi, you gotta eat, gotta eat something. Now here's Jesus. He's in this God orchestrated conversation And these guys are like, hey, time out, time out. Listen, I don't know if you know you're talking to the superstar evangelist right here. The entourage has arrived back on the scene. I don't know, you kind of sneaked in after we left, but you can't be talking to him. You gotta eat. Let's go to the green room. Verse 32, he says, I have food to eat that you do not know anything about. I'm, I'm feasting on something right here. There's something that's happening. There's a transaction that's taking place right now. And the disciples, therefore, were saying to one another, did somebody else bring him some food? What happened? (laughs) Jesus says, you knuckleheads, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's my food. That's my sustenance. That's what strengthens my spirit. I'm sure that some of you guys have, been involved in projects where you just got so enthralled in that project that even stopping to eat would become a distraction. Or maybe you're involved in a good book or a good movie. Or maybe like you guys in Nicaragua, you're just so involved in what you were doing in a good way. You're just working so hard that stopping to eat would break that momentum because you were so engrossed and it was feeding something. There was strength. You were drawing strength from the assignment that was at hand. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm drawing strength from being about what my father is doing right now. Verse 35, don't say, do you not say there are four more months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. God, I ask that you give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see the ready ones. Give us eyes to see those that are ripe in our family, our neighbors, our schools, our workplaces. Already he who reaps is receiving wages. It is gathering fruit for life eternal that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. All right, let's stop right here. Point number two is we must care about the things that he cares about. We must care about his work. You know, when Jesus was a little boy, his parents took him, he was 12 years old, they took him to the temple. And we find that when Jesus is in the temple, that he's engaging in conversation and dialogue with the religious teachers and rabbis of that day. And the ultimate home alone moment happens when Mary and Joseph take off and they're like, Kevin, I mean, Jesus, right? And Jesus is just still there hanging out, man. He's, he's breaking things down. I mean, 
This side note here, if I were a 50-year-old rabbi and this 12-year-old guy is spitting, I mean, he's just breaking me off, I'd be a little, I don't know, I don't know what would be going through my head right there. Like, seriously, you're 12 years old. But he's doing that. He's reasoning with these guys and he's bringing truth. And then Mary and Joseph come. They said, what are you doing? You're supposed to come home with us. He says, hey, didn't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business? I'm supposed to be about my father's business. You know what this six-month assignment is? This six-month assignment is about being with Jesus and allowing there to be such a transplant of his heart into our heart so that when we go about the Father's business, we're not doing it as orphans, we're not doing it as religious, snooty, snotty, you know, uncompassionate, insensitive people. When we're about the Father's business, we're doing it from his heart. That is what this six-month assignment of pressing into Christ is all about. People who care about his work, not out of manipulation or guilt or self-condemnation, but people who care about people. You know, there was a time in the early church under Roman oppression, under Roman rule, that at one point, the Roman leaders were saying, we cannot compete with these Christians because they are taking care of the needs of the city, the lepers, those who are affected by plagues. Um, and, and throughout church history, we find that um, different parts of civilization and culture throughout history, people would take their babies and, and they would just commit infanticide. So, so if, if, they, if they had a child and they didn't want that child, uh, that type of abortion, they would just put their child out on their doorstep. And most often those kids would die but then there was this movement among the early church Christians where they would go from house to house and they'd actually pick these kids up, take them in their own homes and care for them because they were caring about what the father cared about. Third profile of a worker is someone who's willing to work. Willing to work. And again, let's take all condemnation off of us. But let's just talk honestly. Soul winning is work. And I'll be honest with you, there are times when I come home and uh, after a long day, an active day, a busy day, in between juggling our work and juggling our family, those two things alone, guys, I'll be honest, sometimes I feel like I don't even have the bandwidth for anybody else. Can anybody relate to that? And then you throw sports on top of that and mute, good Lord, some of those sports, are like full-time jobs with overpay. You know, you're running to and from practice and music and ballet, dance, all these things. And like, where in the world do we have the bandwidth? And here's, here's what I think the strategy is. Very, very, very simply. The strategy is, is in the field that God is calling you to be in. So do you know, you know, you go to fishing ponds every day when you go to work. You go to fishing ponds every day. There are people around you in your neighborhood. When you walk your block and when you're, hey, Fred, hey, Bill, you know, I don't, you don't have any Freds and Bills in the church. I don't even. <laughs> when you meet people, when you engage with them, I'm telling you, those little five-minute conversations with your neighbor on the front porch, those, those are little seeds. And really what it takes is it takes us calibrating our mind to say, God, I'm willing to do this. It doesn't mean you have to go door to door. It doesn't mean you have to stand on a street corner. It doesn't mean you have to pull out a lot of tracks. It just means in the, field, the relational fields that God has put you in, how can you begin praying to, for strategic moments and opportunities in the relational field? And it's very simply a willingness. And listen, 
I, I don't have this down. This is stuff that God's doing inside of me. I want, Lord Jesus, you to make me into more of a worker who cares about your work, who's been with you, who's got a transfusion of your heart inside of me and who's willing, who's willing to invite neighbors into my home when it would be easier to veg out and watch the voice. Right? Don't get distracted. Y'all are like, he, my, my pastor watches the voice. Like, just stay on task. <laughs> Number four, a worker is someone who is willing and able to share the gospel. Willing and able to share, to communicate the gospel. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 10. I'm gonna whiz through some scriptures here to equip you, Romans chapter 10. We're gonna look here at verse 10. It says, for with the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Verse 13, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever cries out, whoever responds, whoever invites God to come and be in their lives. Verse 14, how then will they call upon the one who they've not believed? I love this logical progression here. How can you call on the one you've never believed in? Makes a ton of sense. This is what he says. And how can you believe on someone you've never heard about? It reminds me of stories in my life where I've shared the gospel with people and I've asked them, do you know this man, Jesus? And they would say, I don't know who you're talking about. All right, great. Now let me explain to you who Jesus is. How can they believe on someone they've never heard? And watch this. How can they hear? The NASB says preacher. I think the NIV says, unless they have someone preaching to them. And I like to just transliterate that word and say, unless they just have someone sharing with them this message, this story, this spiritual angle, this truth, this, this, this way of life. If we never have anyone opening our mouths, people won't hear. And if they don't hear, they can't believe. If they can't believe, they can't respond and call out. This right here is speaking of the primacy and the priority of the gospel of Jesus, how necessary it is. Verse 15, how shall they preach unless they are sent? Good news, I'm sending you today and every day. Let's go as sent ones. Someone who is willing and who is able to share the gospel. Go with me to Colossians. Just a couple of books over the book of Colossians chapter one. Let me show you what happens when we communicate, when we share the story, the message, the seed. The gospel is referred to as seed, imperishable and uncorruptible seed. Our job is just to make sure that seed gets in the ground and the way it gets into the ground is for the venue of communication. Preaching, teaching, sharing, conversations. Colossians chapter one, look at verse five. Verse five, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, which is the gospel. So in other words, these people here in the church at Colossae, they began to understand that there is a hope. 
there's a hope for them. You know, the people in our communities need to know that there's a hope. There's, there's a hope, there's a hope for you. There's hope for your financial situation. There's hope for your physical body. There's hope for your marriage, hope for your wayward children. There's hope for some of the, the, the cycles of decisions and bondage that you find yourself in. There's hope for you. And how do we even know that that hope's available? Here's what he says. That hope is a result of us hearing the message of the gospel. Verse six, which has come to you just as in all the world, also as it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing among you since the day you first heard of God's grace and its truth. What am I, what am I saying here? The gospel produces fruit. It works for itself. Get the seed in the ground. Willing and able to get that seed in the ground. Willing and able to share the gospel of truth, which is bearing fruit. Here's a beautiful thing. We don't have to worry about them changing their lives. We don't have to worry about pulling them out of their lifestyles. At some point in discipleship and sonship and maturity, that'll all happen relationally with relationships of trust, spiritual fathers and mothers come alongside. A community of faith grows around spiritual babies and helps them to grow. But here's, here's the great thing. We don't have to worry about all that on this side. We just have to worry about getting that seed into the hearts of people. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter one. 1 Corinthians, first chapter. We're gonna look here at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. In other words, all of our lofty ideas, arguments, that is not, our, our human wisdom does not bring us into a knowledge of God. God was well pleased that through the foolishness of the message preached or the gospel to save those who believe. Let me just break that down. God, God thought to himself and he said, these guys are so smart. Let me bring something so foolish that like the faith of a child, it seems so, so foolish. You mean to tell me that my entire life can be transformed from all of these struggles and these cycles of sin and that I could be entered into heaven and that guilt and shame could fall off of me. I could be brought back in a relationship with the creator of the universe by simply believing that this message is true too easy. That's the beauty of it. He did all the work and all you have to do is receive it and believe it. Three components of the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. If you know the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you're qualified to preach the gospel. If you know Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, if you know that he died upon a cross to take upon himself the transgressions and the willful trespass of humanity against God, and if you know that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day to destroy the power of sin and destroy the power of death, you are qualified to preach the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? Life, death, resurrection of Jesus is the gospel. And if you can share that, you can change the course of someone's eternal destiny. All right, final, final thought here on the profile of a worker. It's very simply someone who is involved in the work. All right, let me just review here for those of you guys who are taking notes and especially for those of you who aren't. <laughs> profile of a worker. Number one, someone who knows Jesus. 
Okay, they're with him. Number two, someone who cares about his work. Number three, someone who's willing to work. Number four, someone who is willing to and able to share the gospel. And then finally, someone who is involved in the work. This is what Jesus is saying, pray for these people. Pray that more of these kinds of people would come to the surface and go into the harvest field of the world. And there's a couple of very, very quick ways that we can get involved in the work. Number one, prayer. Prayer. You know what's amazing? Is if you're wrestling with some of that intimidation stuff, you know what you know will curb that intimidation? Prayer. Get in your closet. Or every time you pull into your driveway, if you know that Fred or Bill don't have a relationship with Christ or, or, or Jane or Sue, every time you pull in to your driveway, just right there, make it a habit, a 30 second. Father, I pray that the message of the gospel would come to my neighbor and I pray that you'd raise up workers and I ask that you would make me the first. And we don't pray for workers to exempt ourselves from being the people that God might wanna use. Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Pull into your neighborhood, pull into your driveway, say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would raise up workers and I pray that you'd make me one of them and that the gospel would come to my friends and you'd make it clear. This is what Paul says. He says, pray for me, pray, 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 pray for me. And when you pray for me, pray that I would preach the gospel clearly. That's what we wanna pray for, that the gospel be communicated clearly. Number two, relationship, relationship. This is how you can get involved in the work of the message of the gospel. And I'm gonna give you this, this chapter reference. I want you to read it on your own. It's in John chapter one, verse 40 through 49. John chapter one, verse 40 through 49. That's our homework assignment. Brilliant stories about two guys who shared the gospel just out of their relationship, who ended up becoming disciples of Jesus. But it all happened in the network of relationship. One guy rolled up and he says, you know what, man, I think I found the guy. You mean the guy? Yeah, the guy, the guy we've all been talking about. I think I found him. There's no way you can find the guy. How can anything good come from such and such? And he was like, no, I think, come, come on and see. Jesus says, you're such and such. And he goes, oh my gosh, you're the guy. That's my translation of what happens right there in John chapter one. Read it. Number three, look for opportunities. Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, Resurrection Day, Fourth of July, President's Day, a loss of a loved one, struggling, you name it, a way to serve, an invitation into a home, uh, blessing kids, their kids, birthdays, anything, you name, God, I'm telling you, there's so, we could sit down, if we did a brainstorming session, we could come up with 500 ideas, simple, easy, practical, non-threatening ways to just build relationship with people and gain trust. So look for opportunities. And then finally, serve. Just find ways to serve people. Those are ways, very simple ways that each of us can be on mission and get involved in the work. Jonathan, come on up here, bud, if you would. So Father, today, I want us to pray for workers. Can you guys agree with me on this? And I don't wanna be the only one up here praying. I want us all this, this is an assignment that God gave to us, not to me alone. He gave it to us. And so, Father, why don't we just start with this? How many of you would search your heart? And when you come to the place, it's a twofold call right now. Number one, when you come to the place where you would say, Lord, I will respond to your invitation to very simply pray for workers, All right? And number two, very, number two, if you'd search your hearts and you would say, you know what, and I'm willing to be a worker, why don't you just stand? 
You search your heart and you come to that place. You just stand. And if you're not at that place right now in your journey, that's fine. It's no problem. Because I believe that you love the Lord and the Lord loves you and that he's gonna reveal these things to you in time. Now let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'd raise up workers. You'd raise up workers that would go to the fields of our neighborhood, the fields of our schools, and the fields of our workplace, the field of the military. That you would raise up workers that would go to the field of daycare centers, nursing homes. You'd raise up workers, God, even in the fields of our recreational activities. Go to the field of those that play soccer and those that dance and those that fish and those that hike and those that run and those that love coffee. We ask that you would send workers into the field of the intellectuals and the atheists and the agnostics, that you would raise up workers to go to the fields of the artists, the hipsters. You'd raise up workers that go into the fields, Father, of the drug addict, of the homosexual, of the transgender in our city. You would raise up workers, God, to go to the field of the orphan, the foster care children. You would raise up workers to go to the field of those in our civil government, law enforcement, all around us, God, all around us. Every one of us are touching. We're all positioned in a different part of the field of our city. And as we saw in the scriptures time and time again, we had to lift up our eyes. And Father, I pray that you give us eyes to see. Lord, I pray a bold prayer that even in our time alone with you, we ask you to mess with us in a good way. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to give us creative ideas. We ask you to put names and faces upon our hearts. Lord, I, I just take off all condemnation, guilt, shame, we just, we just say that doesn't belong to us, but we want your heart. And we want our commissioning orders to come out of your heart, God. And Father, we ask that you would make us workers. We beseech the Lord of the harvest, send workers and laborers into the harvest field. Share this gospel. The fruit of eternal life changed lives, changed families, changed churches, and changed communities for the glory of your name. Now, if you're here today, it'd be remiss of me to talk so much about the gospel and I'd give you an opportunity if you're here. Maybe you're hearing the gospel for the first time or maybe you're hearing it for the thousandth time that maybe in your heart you would say, today is a day I feel my heart is opening and my heart is responding to this message that I was created to have relationship with God. That the first man willfully chose to transgress and to willfully disobey. And in so doing, he willfully walked out of relationship with God. Mankind ever since has been broken from fellowship and sin has pervaded the earth. And the hurt and the sickness and the brokenness between man and God and man and man has resulted. And effectively what we've done is we've given our enemy, God's enemy, rule and authority over the earth. Jesus, God's son, fully man, yet fully God, born of a virgin, came to this earth. He came preaching the message of the kingdom of God. He came healing the sick. He came teaching about another way of life. 
not a rule-based way of life, but a relational-based way of life, a life lived of love, understanding God's love for us and responding out of love for him. And then he laid his life down and he took upon himself our sin, our jealousy, our anger, our lust, our pride, our selfishness, our willful rebellion was all put on him. He became that and then he died and he destroyed its authority and its rule over our lives when he rose again from the dead. And the scripture says, if you would believe in your heart that Christ died in our place and he was risen again from the dead, if you'd be willing to confess that, to make a public declaration of that with your life and your lifestyle, he says you're in the family again. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to perfect yourself. You're in the family. And listen, listen, there's no perfect people in the family. We want the broken ones. We love them because the Father loves them. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this room here for the next couple of minutes, if you're here and you would say, I want to respond to that with a decision, a decision to repent of my sin and a decision to think differently about going my own way and a decision to submit, to submit to lay down my will out of love, out of love, not out of fear, out of love. It says, God, I believe that out of your love, you did this for me and out of my love, I wanna live for you. And that's what the decision is. I choose to stop going my way and I choose to go your way out of love. And if that's you here today and you're making a first time decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, I wanna pray with you. And I'd invite you just to lift up your hand to see who I'm praying with this morning. Or maybe you're here today. Maybe you've made this decision before, so it's not a first-time decision, but maybe it's what we call a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a renewed decision. It's a decision to renew your devotion to Jesus. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. I invite you to raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying with this morning. All right, with everybody in the house praying together with me, there is no magic in words. The power comes from the sincerity of your heart. So I'm gonna ask every one of us to pray this together right now, wherever you're at. Father, I call you Father because you call me your child. I willingly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your son, the perfect one, the sinless one who laid his life down to bring me into relationship with you. I choose to think differently about my own way and I choose to follow your way from love, by love, for love, I live for you in Jesus' name. Now may the Holy Spirit empower you. May he empower you to live in God's ways. May he empower you to discover his heart. In church, may he empower you to be a worker on his behalf and to be about his business. Let's respond this year into praying daily for the harvest and praying daily for his workers. Amen. 
God bless you, Antioch Church. You guys are the best church on the planet. Love you guys so much.